Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Continuous learning is the driver for success, growth, and well-being. Learn or expire. Keep your Azure skills up to date. Act now by going to solveto.fi slash pro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I'm I'm not sure. I, I think I've mentioned here previously on, on, on the podcast that I've been using a ThinkPad X1 Carbon laptop when I'm on the go. At, at home, I use a desktop PC, but whenever I'm in a cafe with a customer traveling, I use the ThinkPad. And after months, and I literally been months of thinking and considering, I finally went and got myself a MacBook Pro. It's pretty great. I've, been, I've, I've had that for five days now. I have to admit, the battery seems to last forever. The display is great. The the audio is is great. I was I was watching the latest episode of The Last of Us on it. It's it's fantastic. It's also somehow fun to use a laptop. It's fun to use a Windows as well. But after thirty years on Windows, I I sort of like Mac OS, even if it's not replacing everything, but it's sort of augmenting on the way I work. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised you're getting new gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's nice. I've I've heard a lot of good stuff about it, so let me know in a year from now if you're still using it and if the battery life is persistent. I keep my laptop plugged in, so I don't have that problem right now. So on my side, I bought a cast iron waffle maker to use on an open fire. So very analog, again, and if you're tuning into this episode regularly, you know that I spend a lot of time outdoors in the woods, and I sleep in the woods every now and then. It's a strange thing, but it's really nice to get outdoors and stay analog for a little bit. So now I'm well prepared for the times ahead, spending time outdoors, and hopefully this will now make it more fun for the kids to join as well. So imagine after a long hike, if you're out with the kids or the family and you get back to the camp or the car where the family is and you bring out the gear and make a fire. And usually I, I have equipment for doing a three course meal in the woods. So I spend a lot of time cooking outdoors as well. Now I can make waffles. So I think that makes the family happy. So hopefully I can kind of trick them out from the digital landscape of indoors into the woods and make waffles. So I'm, I can't wait to, to really try that out. So yeah, that's what's up on my end. That sounds awesome. I trust that you have original real Canadian maple syrup to go, go with the waffles. No, 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 no. So we make the Swedish, I, I don't know, what kind of waffles this is, but we don't make these huge, big type of waffles you you do in, in Canada and the US. So we make pretty flat waffles and they're pretty healthy. I don't use a lot of butter or any, anything like that. No syrup, stuff like that. Maybe some fruit on top of them. But now we're getting into a discussion that is worthy of, of you know, <laughs> perhaps another type of podcast, but healthy waffles, I love them. Alrighty. So this week's episode is about understanding power platform for Azure professionals. And to help us on this understanding journey, we have a guest to join us, Mr. Antti Pajunen from a company called Forward Forever. He's joining us to talk us through our platform. Welcome, Antti. Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for having me, guys. So before we sort of get to the essentials, on Power Platform and, and we go through everything we can find from there. Antti, what's what's your background on, on working with Power Platform? Yeah, so so uh, I've pretty much worked with Power Platform, you know, since it was 
introduced by Microsoft some years back. My, my history is actually with Dynamics 365, so I come from a, a Dynamics 365 or you know air quote CRM background, and uh, and yeah, I mean Power Platform's got a lot to do with with essentially Dynamics CRM. That's sort of in a nutshell where I come from. Okay, okay. I, I think we'll touch on Dynamics 365 a bit also today. Toby, I, I don't think we've really discussed Power Platform at all in any of the previous episodes. I, I think we mentioned it maybe casually once or twice. But Toby, are you exposed with anything in Power Platform nowadays? I, I would say that uh, I am exposed to that quite a lot in some areas. We all know Power BI. You know, for for data crunching and visualization and like doing intelligent insights in whatever data sources you have. So Power BI is something that I've used a little bit in the past, but since I joined Microsoft uh, some time ago, everything is Power BI, right? So I'm I am heavily exposed to that. I am also exposed to some automations uh, using Power Automate, which is also kind of part of the the bigger suite. Other than that, you know, I. I have built low-code apps and solutions with Power Apps. I have tried to use the Power Virtual Agents and you know, just meddling a little bit with the things in the Power Platform to try it out and see where can I make this make my life easier, right? So a lot around the productivity. And, and that's actually an episode we can do in the future, diving into uh, like Power Automate and how that can tie into Azure and how that can benefit your daily workflow and productivity, because I'm using that a lot. But to answer the question, yes, Power BI, a little bit of Power Apps, Power Automate quite a bit, and and that's about it. Okay, okay, fair fair enough. And and if you are a regular listener of the show, fear not, this is not becoming a Power Platform podcast in the future. But <laughs> we felt it would be useful to understand a bit more about the our platform side and perhaps reflect a bit on how we see that on the Azure side. So Microsoft talks a lot about makers and citizen developers, low-code, no-code. So perhaps one of the goals is also to understand what's relevant and, and what's maybe more marketing and less technology, if you will. Perhaps let's let's define a few things. So on the Dynamics 365, I, I think I've seen that name for more than 10 years now. Is it is it today? Is it the same as Power Platform? Is it a different thing? How do they relate? That's a great, great question to kind of start start with what is Power Platform? You know, I I'd say coming from, from Dynamics 365, and again, I always say coming from CRM, um, Power Platform is kind of the evolution of, of Dynamics 365. So a lot of that we see on Power Platform today are actually based on the constructs of, of, of you know Dynamics Dynamics 365, and 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 in in that sense, it does play a big role in in the Power Platform. But if we think of its its sort of role, what is it actually on the Power Platform today? What it actually is is a first party application. So whereas on Power Platform, you know we can build or anyone can build apps or flows and and whatnot. Dynamics 365 is something that's purpose-built and specifically, you know, the kind of the dataverse sides of things. I'm not talking about Business Central or the ERPs, but really the, again, kind of the CRM construct, if you say, that's a first-party application on, on Power Platform. So that's its primary role, built to serve a specific purpose, uh, built for a specific set of processes. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes makes perfect sense. And I, I think whenever somebody 
mentions dynamics to me it's crm and then i get these flashbacks from ax and navision and all those horrors back in the day but let's not go there today good so, times yeah so the other thing is makers when somebody says i am a maker it reminds me a lot on what we used to do back in the day maybe toby did that as well SharePoint designer-based workflows and master pages, stuff on the modern workplace. Sort of like doing technical work, but being more on the business side, if you will. Would you would you agree on this one, or, or do you see makers somehow differently? No, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, you know, terminology there. We talk about makers. There's also, you know, developer, power platform developer, all these kinds of, of, of fancy sounding words that are, you know, thrown at us. But, you know, and I, I do think these are always in the eye of the beholder, to be honest, in the end. But for me, a maker is really someone who is using the power platform for uh, increased personal productivity or increased team productivity. The, those are the people, you know, the Karens in accounting and, and, and the John Doe's in logistics who build the apps. They're sort of the modern versions of, of and, the, and, and the versions of of today of, of people who've built PowerPoints and Word documents and Excel documents and Excel spreadsheets in, in the past. Today, their tools have kind of changed or evolved into, you know, from Excel to Power Apps and, and, and from Excel to Power Automate and whatnot and, and you know, Power BI as well. Um, so the maker is just the, you know, the everyday person who, you know, builds stuff at a customer organization or in an organization. Okay, okay. So Toby mentioned already Power Automate for, for creating flows, automations, and Toby mentioned Power Virtual Agents. So those two part of Power Platform. Power Apps is part of that, but what else is there? What are we missing? Yeah, so it's, it's the interesting thing with Power Platform naturally is that it's it keeps, it keeps growing and keeps getting new, new services every once in a while. And, and if we kind of look at what officially Power Platform consists of, it's, you know, Power BI, Power Apps, Power Automate, Power Virtual Agents, which are those chatbots, uh, Power Pages, which used to be called Power Portals. It's that, you know, portals capability for, for example, external users. We have data connectors that are kind of, you know, officially part of Power Platform. We have AI Builder, and then you know the database, sort of the go-to database in Power Platform is you know, officially it's Dataverse, but you know I'm not going to go into that debate on on SharePoint versus Dataverse when we <laughs> I think we will hear that or Azure, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And and Toby, you mentioned also Power BI. Toby, do do you see yourself? In the context of, let's say, Power BI, do you see yourself more of a maker? You create those, or do you see yourself more of an end user? You consume whatever somebody else built and perhaps drill down into data, but more or less consume what's out there. I think that's a it's a fair question. I think I well, the reality today is coming back to what I said before. Since joining Microsoft, a lot of things is Power BI and pulled out, you know, aggregate reports. So Today, I consume more reports than I build, uh, but I have spent a lot of time building Power BI reports as well in my days. So I, I just think the tables kind of turned for me where I went from the Power, Power BI maker to the Power BI consumer, which is a 
kind of good experience as well for me consuming pretty big reports with a lot of data crunched from a lot of different data sources because I know how to tweak it. I know how to where to find the data. I know how to crunch the data, change the the report that I'm looking at, customize it and stuff like that. So now I feel like kind of a power user of Power BI as opposed to creating new reports. So having the background of of having created a lot of those in the past is is beneficial. Okay, okay. So I know who to call if I run into problems with my Power BI reports. I, I have the support phone number to Microsoft. You can call them. Excellent. So Antti, what are typical projects and implementations you get to do with Power Platform? Are they more on what I witnessed back in, in the day when Power Apps was fresh, maybe 2016, 2017? Are they still more on let's create a single canvas app with Power Apps and, and deploy that and call it a day? Or are you seeing them becoming more business-like and, and, and more wide and more complex implementation? I think it's both, to be honest. We we, we do still see that let's, you know, let's build a handy small app for a specific purpose and and you know maybe that's uh something that we might do on the dataverse for team side and and you know let's just you know let's let's go get it, get it done quickly and 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 then kind of throw it in the trash when we don't need it anymore so that's definitely still an angle but i would say that the you know with the evolution of power platform and as as it has become a bit more mainstream and organizations have increased in maturity their awareness of what they can do with the platform has increased. So the complexity of what we're doing has, you know, increased with it. So we're we're definitely doing more than than just building one-off apps. Uh, we're actually thinking of of refactoring line of old line of business applications. We're 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 thinking of 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 you know how we can get more out of business processes through digitalization and through you know apps on and automation on our platform. Uh, so it's it's definitely changed. It's transformed. And I think that's a natural evolution of, of to things. Uh, and and just you know based on on our platform being and becoming more more and more established over the years and you know when i talk about this you know you guys mentioned power bi i do want to say that you know that that you know kind of power bi is maybe that odd child out uh, it's it's its role is is a bit different than of the other components on power platform right i think a lot of times you know the skill sets of, of both makers and people of us you know consultants who are working on the power platform those backgrounds and skill sets are also a bit different what i kind of say is you know you say dynamics 365 and consists of you know crm and erp right so you know that to me is kind of like talking about power platform and then saying you know power apps on power bi it's sort of like the, the difference is similar as with as with like CRM and 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 the ERP side when when we look at Power Apps and and uh, Power BI. Okay, okay, makes make, makes sense. I'll I'll definitely buy into this because what I'm occasionally seeing with customers is that they have singular, let's say, Canvas apps or Power Automations for fixing a tiny or a large problem, but in a, in a rather dynamic and efficient way. Like let's spend five days to create whatever we need instead of having this huge software project with custom development and it takes 50 days. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And then I also see small steps with, with businesses moving forward with, with sort of business-driven solutions on Power Platform instead of this 
these sort of singular applications becoming more embracing, embracing more of the platform, if you will. Right. A, a big thing with this is naturally that that our platform is not just for you know us as consultants to build you know, s stuff for customers, but the the whole idea of of our platform is to be a low code platform, right? So, so I think the story is evolving into a direction where people build internally, and with that, customers are more aware of of their need for proper governance on the platform. So I think that's also a big angle here. You know, how do we make it safe for our makers? And, and you know, what are the rules for external partners coming into the platform? How are they supposed to build on it compared to our internal staff, our own makers building things? Okay. So how does Azure then play in the picture? You mentioned Dataverse is sort of the preferred database, but I think you can use maybe Azure SQL, of course. But any any thoughts on a general level on when did you see Azure being tied in with with Power Platform? Yeah, that, that's that's a really really uh, broad broad question, I guess. How you uh, there there's different different definitely different angles to approach this from. So what I do a lot is is I I build a lot of automations, right? I, I use Power Automate fairly fairly much. And I think Azure comes into play specifically in automation scenarios. Now, now, I'm not saying that's the only scenario, but that's, you know, that's the most familiar for me. So automation scenarios and how does, you know, uh, how do we sort of, when we need to go from, from for example, from Power Automate to Logic Apps, or how do, when we need to go from Power Automate to Azure, Azure Functions, that that's, that's definitely an angle. And then, on on the sort of application building side, when we're building power apps, you know the the role of Azure is definitely present there as well. And I think that's where a lot of times when we build something more complex and we hit that need for code as opposed to low code. So when you know low code just doesn't cut it anymore, and we need to go to pro code, that's where the Azure components really kick in. So again, we're you know we might be talking about logic apps. A lot of times we're talking about Azure functions. Uh, and then obviously, you know, if we're, you know, not, not using Dataverse and we're using Azure SQL, then, you know, I guess we, we have to count that as, as Azure having a role there as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, Toby, I, I think you were exposed to, obviously you, you built a lot of APIs, but for API management, do you, do you still see or witness the usage of API management, not perhaps in the context of Power Platform, but in the context of Azure, because where I'm coming with this sort of thinking here is that API management used to be this hardcore developer platform thingy, and I'm seeing that being positioned more for use cases such as let's create a custom API on Azure, let's publish that with API management, and perhaps our our makers and low code no code citizen developers can pick up on those. Toby, any any thoughts on on this or API management? Yeah, and it, I think that's a good reflection, and that kind of reminds me of API management. A couple of years back, we tried to use that and leverage API management for some of the APIs we had, and we had a lot of API calls, and we wanted customers to be able to come and and you know uh, consume our APIs in in various ways and API management is perfect for that right you get the developer portal they get a quota we can set up throttling and everything is built in but the pricing for API management was more expensive than the entire SaaS service we had deployed right 
and and that's only for kind of the API gateway for consumers using the API. So when we used it, we we couldn't really go to production because of the cost uh, implications of using it. But I think that's also sh- changed a little bit. I I don't have the actual numbers now, but looking at the bigger picture, I definitely think API management is a good fit for for anything like like this, where you have makers creating apps, creating custom connectors, creating automations that connects to, if, if you've built your own APIs and it's connecting to those APIs, setting up API management can help you kind of establish the boundaries for that. What should happen if you get throttled? What should happen? You know, should they use an API key? How do you protect your APIs? API management does all of that. But then we also have to be pragmatic, right? If you're building something that sends one event to an Azure function or to, to a logic app that is supposed to add one line into a database or whatever. Do you really need API management? I don't think so, right? You can protect it in different ways. You can use managed identities. You can use still use a type of API key or something like that for your for your custom functions or for logic apps. You have different ways to to handle that. So I I think in the end, it's always about being pragmatic and cost aware and aware of the complexity of the solution. Because a lot of the times, what I see, and correct me here if I'm wrong, Antti, what you see as well, a lot of the time when I see people building you know, automations or building something within the Power Platform, it's not the enterprise scale architectures that you build an entire solution for a 250,000 employee business with, but you build, you still build solutions for these companies, but you build a lot of them. And, you know, you plug them in here, plug them in there to support different types of business workflows, as opposed to back in the day where it plugged in huge enterprise uh, solutions that were supported by maybe API management and other things to be supported for the entire business. So if we only do one of these solutions in one location or in one department or one team or one area of our business, and we send X amount of requests back and forth between connectors and, and APIs, we also have to be aware of the complexities of that. Do we need API management? Maybe, but it, you know, consultant answer, it depends, right? That's, we always come back to this answer and and that is true in this scenario as well. So that that's kind of my only reflection on that. Okay, yeah, fair, I, I, fair, fair enough. Definitely agree, definitely agree. So, so moving on a bit on how Azure maybe plays part in here is AI and Power Platform. And until you mentioned AI Builder, and I think several of those capabilities are based on cognitive services on the Azure side. We did talk about the Lobe, and that was the startup that Microsoft acquired some years ago. We talked about that in episode 64, but that seems to be going nowhere nowadays. And now everybody obviously is thinking about OpenAI, mainly because of chat GPT and GPT-3. And and Dolly and all those fancy features. Antti, are you seeing open AI or AI capabilities being a topic perhaps from customers? Or is this still more on the fancy technology widgets that we can play around with, but it doesn't really align with businesses yet? Yeah, so I, I think that for, for some reason, and again, this is, you know, my based on my experiences and my take only can't say it's the it's the universal truth, but I'm a bit surprised how little of anything AI related I've actually seen in the past, I want to say four years on on our platform. And, th- and that's I, I don't think the reason is because I you know do governance a lot and and and, and, and automations. It's just it just hasn't 
it just hasn't been a thing with customers. And and sometimes I wonder if that's the thing of, if, you know, I'm or like you, I'm from Finland, if that's just a geo-specific thing that it just doesn't have anything for us or, or we use some other services. I don't know. Uh, but surprisingly little, surprisingly little of anything power platform related AI, be it with with AI builder or any of the you know air, air quotes real AI capabilities for Azure. Yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree on that one, and I feel that perhaps one of the challenges is that it's so hard to quantify what AI means. Often it means machine learning, meaning you do a lot of work with a lot of data to come up with a model that you can use perhaps through an API. And I feel with OpenAI people feel that AI is back into being like magic. I can ask anything and it comes back with reasonable answers that might be half hallucinations and half truths. So I think we we had a brief reflection on this, maybe a couple of episodes back on that. So I'm I'm looking with with sort of interest on, on where Azure OpenAI goes, but also perhaps if Power Platform would actually be the hero platform for open AI to sort of pave the way for businesses to use real AI quite rapidly instead of spending a year in tuning a model and then saying, well, this is not what we wanted to do again. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely possibilities there. And I, I think like right now it's the 9th of uh, 9th of February that we're you know talking about this. I I think open AI in, in just the past couple of weeks has become you know, globally a lot more, it, it's become a thing, right? It's it's become an immediate hype in just a few weeks. It's it's incredible to see. And I, I think that, that in, you know, if we're, we're going to have this discussion again in six months in the summer of, around the summer of 2023, you know, we might see something, we might see something different. So, I mean, I'm hopeful and optimistic. It'll kind of pave a way for, for AI on our platform, because uh, now it's been a bit stagnant. It's, it just hasn't really, you know, it just hasn't really gone anywhere. Uh, like you said, with Loeb, it's it's uh, haven't really seen it. So it's going to be really interesting to see where we're where we're going to go with with OpenAI and and with the hype around it. Yeah, and um, I, I anticipate that we're going to see a lot in this area moving forward. And exactly what you said there, you, you're touching something that brings back something that happened very recently in my personal situation. And that's my parents calling me and saying, hey, I, I read an announcement in our local newspaper and they don't read online, like an actual paper newspaper for their small town that they live in. They read a news article saying that Microsoft invested X amount of billion into something called open AI. And that's the future of a lot of things. And it's opening a lot of doors. So my parents call me up, say, hey, what is this AI thing? You know, And that to me is a signal that now it's starting to become a reality for people outside of tech, right? Because AI has for a long time been computer-driven decisions. It's AI has not been smart in the in the sense it's been automation to to a big part. Like it's uh, speech to text that's being called AI, right? And things like that. Now we're seeing kind of the the thinking of AI where with chat gpt it takes a text and it can reformulate that entirely it can look things up for you and write a story for you that you did not even put any data into you can just say hey i want you to write me a story about this and then you get a story back 
So my parents called me up saying, in my local newspaper, we just saw OpenAI and some chat GPT thing. What is this? Do we need to be afraid of uh, robots and you know things like that? And I and I think that you know that discussion itself was pretty interesting and and fun. But I think that is a signal to me saying the rest of the world is waking up to the capabilities and possibilities of this. And I think we're going to see a paradigm shift in technology as we know it. Right, a lot of the things we do today will change how we do them tomorrow, and I think OpenAI is going to be a huge driver to that, and not at least with the investments Microsoft is doing in that area. So, tying that back to Azure, I think in Azure we're seeing a lot of investments in the future being made in all the AI areas as well. So, anything we talk about Power Platform, I think in a few years from now will be smarter. Right, not just more integration points, not just more ways to do some logical stuff, but also easier ways where you can say, "Hey, our platform, I don't really know how to achieve X, Y, and Z. Please make me a flow or make an automation for me that looks like this, that does that when this happens." And we already have that. And when you build a flow, you have this kind of smart editor where you can say, "I want this to happen when that happens." It's not super clever, but I think that's where things are moving. And Azure is a big portion of that. Power Platform is going to be a big portion of that. So imagine you want to automate something coming back to productivity. Whenever I go into a Teams call, I want to go and add an out-of-office message or you know whatever you want to do. And you can do that logically. You know the rules for doing this. When you build a flow, if this happens and that happens and this does not happen, then I want to set my status to whatever. We can build those things. But I think in the future, you'll, you're just going to have text-to-speech. You can even say to your phone, say to the computer, say, hey, our platform, build me this type of productivity workflow and then deploy it for me. So I'm, obviously, I'm just freebasing my thinking here. But I think that's what we're seeing. And I think that's where things tie into Azure in the future as well, because that entire area is going to expand. Yeah, I think you're, very, you're exactly spot on on that. and 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 that's... Like you said, that's something that we're already seeing. You know, we're seeing the first steps of of making a maker's life easier with with AI by you know being able to tell a flow, hey, you know, give me an expression on, you know, this is what I want to do. Write me an expression, and you know, we the maker gets back an expression that they they can then use in their flow because otherwise they'd actually have to learn to make that expression, which can be, which is then different than writing power expressions. So they have to learn, you know, that syntax. Uh, and with AI, they can just say, hey, you know, this is what I want to accomplish. Give me the output, give me the expression, whether it's in, in power apps or whether it's in, you know, power automate, and then they can just run with that. So I think that's the maker enablement is, is definitely the first step. Uh, of this all in in actual reality, uh, what's the customer angle like the actual customer side um, for business that remains to be seen? Sounds sounds good. I'm I'm definitely anxious to try out OpenAI capabilities more widely, both with Power Platform and 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 directly from from Azure. I think it's in in sort of a closed preview as as we are recording this, but hopefully we'll be more open in the future. So, so switching gears a little bit, let's not talk too much about the licensing. I know we all love the topic quite a bit, yes. but but the angle for licensing is pay-as-you-go plans 
because I, I think that's a relatively new thing, maybe from last year, that you can sort of offload the licensing costs to be extracted from your Azure Pay As You Go subscription, whatever credit cards or, or whatever you have in there. Antti, any any thoughts on this? How do you see this this work out? And and is this something that you see maybe customers moving towards to? Yes, we've actually have had uh, real discussions on on pay as you go and how that could solve some potential uh, licensing challenges. Let's put it that way. I think it has potential, uh, but I also think that it is. I kind of want to say it is for edge cases, and it's for those cases where we have where use of the platform is not consistent uh, when it's intermittent. Let's say, you know, to give you an example, I think pay as you go is great for things where we have, let's say we have 500 people who need to use a single application once in a quarter, right? They maybe they have to log something once a quarter, submit some sort of report, and that's every you know, that, that's a quarterly activity. So it makes sense to have pay-as-you-go for something like that. And, you know, otherwise they can just use their office licenses or whatnot to run things and build their apps. Uh, but maybe that one supporter, they need to use something that requires premium connectors, a connection to Azure, a connection to, you know, Azure SQL, wherever. Uh, so I think it's it's great for those kind of scenarios. But it's not it's not for... Uh, you know, for for licensing the entire organization with pay as you go, because that would you know, that would actually just add and you know, add add and run up the cost. So edge yeah. cases, but definitely has potential. And we yeah, we we've had some uh, real discussions with customers, with enterprise customers on pay as you go usability, and we 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 definitely found an an avenue, albeit niche, for pay as you go. I, I I like this definition of pay as you go for edge cases. Uh, not primarily, but as an option there. Whenever I need to sort of do a deep dive on maybe power platform licensing in relation to whatever we are building for Azure, and then there's an angle for power platform. It sort of is simple, but at the same time, it's not simple at all. Because whenever you start finding the the black and white, if you will, somebody's asking, so what does Microsoft say about this and this? You find 57 different PDFs and FAQs and, and you have to check the timestamps and what changed and when. It's it's awfully complex. So let's not dive any deeper on that one. I know Toby is is the master on, on licensing now that he works for Microsoft, right? Yeah, sure. Call me for any license requirements whatsoever. I will give you the best of my ability advice, uh, but you know it, it may or may not be correct. So. Sounds good. Uh, so, so sort of the last topic, Antti, you mentioned Power Pages, and I think it used to be called Power Portals. And I think it's a relatively new thing, and Microsoft has tried creating portals and content management systems for so long. I remember the Microsoft Content Management Server 2001, I think, or was it 2000 and 2002. Then we had the SharePoint public-facing websites, connectors and whatnot in on-premises. We had something in SharePoint Online. Now this is the only capability I think 
from Microsoft that allows you to build anonymous public-facing websites. Did I did I understand the positioning of Power Pages correctly? I think you did. Yeah, anonymous public-facing websites is is definitely that you something that you can use it for. I would say that that at least the majority of cases that we've had, uh, and, and you know, this might be due to how it's again licensed because with power pages licensing actually is a pretty pretty heavy role what we usually see it for is 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 for authenticated users so we have to build an ex an, an outward facing external portal but for authenticated users maybe subcontractors or 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 you know you know really whoever the point is is to to, to use it authenticated i think that's that's primarily what we're seeing with that uh the interesting thing is is that you know no matter how much kind of um bickering you hear about how it's 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 licensed and it's it's expensive and this and that the truth is that we are seeing and this is just you know i've heard this from others around europe as well so it's not just you know us our company or us in finland there's more ask for power pages than there are industry professionals who can build it. Uh, it is definitely a, a niche skill area, uh, which is, you know, if anyone you know out there listening, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, there's there's more demand than we have people who can actually build them. So I think the future for that is, again, is extremely interesting. Uh, and I wish we could take on more projects than 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 we have. But you know, again, lack of skills on I'd say argue on a global level. Fair enough, fair enough. I I definitely need to spend a bit more time on Power Pages because I I feel there's an angle for Azure as well, perhaps for embedding something more complex or creating something, maybe an API in Azure, and then have something on Power Pages call for that API. Or, or 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 something similar. Alrighty, I, I I think I'm exhausted with Power Platform thoughts. Toby, anything you want to add before we get to the unexpected question for Antti? No, I I think we we talked about a lot of the angles that um that I wanted to explore, and and I love this kind of uh, exploration of the thought of seeing where things can go, how how this will evolve into a smarter type of platform. It is smart today, right? But what happens in a couple of years? How is the entire ecosystem going to kind of adopt and adapt to AI? Um, so I, I really love to see what's going to happen next in this area. Sounds sounds good. Uh, okay, so the last bit is the unexpected question. And this week, since we have Antti here, let me ask you, Antti, the question. Are you ready? Yeah, cool. go ahead. Fire away. All righty. You are a mad scientist. What scientific experiment would you run if money and ethics weren't an issue? Oh, that's a great one. Oh, that's a great one. So, so that that naturally has to be an IT thing, you know. I I I, I think you know if 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 money isn't a problem, <laughs> hey, what can I do on this platform if money is isn't a isn't it isn't an issue? Uh, how much of an Azure bill can can I ramp up? Uh, that's not going to be an Azure. Well, actually, it, it is going to be an Azure bill. Uh, so, an ethics. Yeah, I I think ethics is 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 uh, I don't know how ethics plays in, but what I would actually do is I would. Um, I would license an organization's an enterprise organizations, and I'm not not talking about Finnish enterprise, right? Our, our enterprise is small. I, I like 
let's take British enterprise, for example, like a- actual enterprise, I guess. I license an enterprise customer's center of excellence with pay-as-you-go for, par- for its power automate flows and see how much of a bill we can ramp up. <laughs> awesome. I would so like to see this. Uh, I'm not that deep into those specific solutions, but I can already envision the, the sort of amount of complexity, but also the amount of, of billing you can you can rack up in, in a couple of weeks in, in an enterprise environment. Then we can compare that with some of your, you know, Azure flicky flickies and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Who wins who wins the who wins the case? Exactly. Sounds good. Thank you, Auntie, for 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 uh, appearing as a guest. I, I think Auntie Am I right that the next time we will see you, see you on stage would be in June in Dublin for the European Power Platform Conference, right? Correct. June in public, uh, June in Dublin for EPPC, and most likely the same week in Brussels. Uh, I'm going to take a leap onto the uh, uh, back to my roots for for some project operations and dynamics. I'm going to do a conference in Brussels the, uh, the same weekend. So. So those two would be would be uh, the the places where I'd be doing public speak next. Excellent. So we'll we'll add the conference links on this uh, contact information, forward forever contact information, and everything we sort of discussed. The interesting links we have in the notes. We'll add those in the show notes. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll have a fresh episode for you again next week on Wednesday. Bye bye.